so does Hanukkah. So let's talk about Hanukkah. So, there's a lot to say about Hanukkah, as you can imagine. Let's uh, start with one aspect that also connects to this week's parasha a little bit. Actually, there's a lot of Hanukkah in this week's parasha also. There's a lot of Hanukkah going on. Hanukkah is a cheerful topic. So, we have a mitzvah to light Hanukkah candles. And the Rambam has a language which is surprising. Although the Shulchan Aruch quotes it also, so it's quoted by Habakha. It's in both the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. Where they write that mitzvah's Hanukkah, Chaviva hi Ma'od. It is a precious mitzvah. So much so that we have to go to great lengths to do whatever we can to perform this mitzvah. So, Afilu Shola Psachim. Even if that means you have to sell your clothes to buy Hanukkah candles, or to knock on doors, show up sachim, to ask for some help, whatever it takes, if you cannot afford Hanukkah candles, it's not an excuse. Whatever it takes, you're going to have to make sure you can perform this mitzvah. So that's surprising on a lot of levels. Why is it surprising? The mitzvah the Rabbanan, correct, and therefore... Rabbis do that. Okay, because they should be chill. It's, it's their mitzvah. What's your name? I'm sorry, name before. Hi, I'm Hef. Hi, Hef. Where are you from? Woodmere. Woodmere. So yeah, so they should be chill. You think of come on, it's a and you know, go a little bit more to the sentence. They're enacting it. They, they're going to make you go to such lengths. No, come on, what's with that? But besides that, it also seems to contradict it in, which you'll forgive me. It's also a Gemara Suvis. I'm sorry. Um, uh, you're not there yet. It's Yom Ksubis and Dathman Pass. That's based on the past week's fire show. We learned yesterday. Based on day, right? We learned yesterday. So there's a Pasuk that is interpreted, probably in Asmach, but interpreted in the Gemara Ksubis, which seems to contradict this idea. Yaakov Avinu, and he says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kol Asher Titemli, Aser Esrenu. Right, so I will give a tenth. There's a double language of the tenth. And the Gemara says in Subis that somebody who is, it's a funny word, mavazvez, it sounds like it means to squander, but somebody who is spending money on stucca in that context should not give more than a fifth. We have a notion of a minimum of 10%, but there is apparently a maximum to the average person, of 20%. Why? Because that will compromise your ability to give any more tzedakah. We're worried that if you're going to go that far into your budget, you're going to become impoverished, and then you're going to need to take tzedakah from others. So the Ramah in Hochaz Lulav writes, that this isn't only by tzedakah, this is by all mitzvahs. So if you can't afford a lulav, even though that's what we call a mitzvah overus, it's gonna if you wait too long, it's gonna lose your opportunity. Well, let's say tefillin. We all know how important tefillin is, but if you can't afford tefillin. It costs more than a fifth. You don't have to do it. So now ask your question again. His first name was again. Time have yes from Woodman. So yes, yeah, so now I ask a question again that together with that information. So here for a mitzvah da raisa like tefillin, there's lulav. 
I don't have to spend more than a fifth of my money. <coughs> and for this mitzvah the Rabbanan of Hanukkah, I have to go begging on people's doors and I have to sell my clothes? That's really hard to believe. Why is there more than a mitzvah in our So if you look on the side of the page of the Rambam, he quotes, Magad Mishnah quotes, that the answer is in a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah that tells you this rule. But it's not talking about Hanukkah. It's talking about Pesach. The Mishnah in Pesachim and Daphne Testament days. There it says, when it comes to Dalekosos, Right, he's familiar with this Mishnah? What does the Mishnah say? A Fibum and a Tamchoy, right? What about the Tamchoy? Yeah, oh, right, you have to still buy Dalakosos, right? So, oh, so what is that telling you? That here you have somebody who apparently cannot afford to do Dalakosos. And he's asking for Staka for his meals. So the Mishnah says that while you're asking for the meals, you also should ask for tzedakah for the dalakosos. So it sounds like that's the source here. That there are certain mitzvos that do have this rule. So that you have to go, ah, right? So what's it called? So persumenisa. Now I know I'm giving you a hard time with every answer, so but you'll forgive me. It's a special country club policy. But uh, it's, it's, it's for instructional purposes. You're okay with that, right? So you're right. That's what he says, persumenisa, right? But my problem is, does that answer the question? Chaim Hecht wants to know that why is it that for a Din Durabana we should have to go so far? Isn't Prashmi Yusuf Din That's a good question. Is it? How do you know? I'm not sure that it is before I put you on the spot too many times. But I mean, maybe. It could be. But the mitzvot that we're talking about are because of Prashmi Right. So Dalek Hosos, Nech Hanukkah, Megillah is also part of the set. This is all the group of mitzvot that we call Prisume Nisa. So, you're right that that's what the Magen Mishnah says. It's because of the Prisume Nisa aspect. But my question to you is, does that answer the question? Or does it really just shuffle around the question? It basically just recategorizes the question. You're asking me, why should a Din Drabanan have this rule... And I'm answering you, oh, there are three Din Drabanan that have this rule. So does that answer you? <coughs> Not really, right? It just kind of recategorizes the question. So you had a question about Hanukkah. I said, oh yeah, it's part of the club with Hanukkah and Dalit Kosos and Megillah. Okay, but we still have to answer that question. Right? So Prisume Nisa apparently has this rule. That's apparently what that Mishnah is saying. I keep saying apparently because there's always a way to read something differently. And there's always a machlokis about everything, but at least on the surface, that's what it sounds like. That the Mishnah is telling us that a mitzvah like Dalit Kosos, you have to go begging for, you have to ask for tzedakah, and we can put Hanukkah candles together with Dalit Kosos because they're all a part of this Persumenisa idea. But how do we understand why Persumenisa is so pressing? Why should it be that now, once we have now rephrased the question without answering it, so what is the answer? So, used to be, why should Hanukkah have this rule? Now it is, why does person Manisa have this rule? So, what's the answer to that? I don't even have to move in. Hashem's cover. Okay, that's nice. So, that's what person Manisa is. So, for you to, you should, you should have to, because of the nature of that, you should have to sacrifice to, 
Okay, that's a nice. It's, uh, definitely a good Vartara. And if it's a nice Russia, it could be. There's a lot to work with with that. But also just in terms of the mechanics here. So I'll mention two approaches. And I think actually both of these approaches also have a lot to say to us right now. So one approach is one that the chapter sometimes quotes from the Salvation. That the idea is, why is presuming it's the, why is presuming it's a thing? What are we trying to accomplish with presuming it's a? And the Rav understood that it's a type of tefillah that we're basically saying, God, we love these miracles. We'd really love some more miracles. So keep them coming. So if that's the idea, the Rav said, it's a little bit incongruous that here we're asking God, so to speak, to go outside of his budget. He normally runs the world, and we're saying, go beyond. And in order to make that point, we have budgeted exactly 19.99%, not one cent over. Please accept this message. So it could be that what we really need to do here, if we're asking God to go above and beyond, is we also have to stretch. We also have to push and say that just as we're looking for something that is miraculous, is more than what is normally expected, so for that message, we also go above and beyond. That's one approach. There is a, another very fascinating <coughs> approach, which really ties into a lot of other things. There's a tshuva of the Abne Nezer, the great Suffolk of Rebbe, where he suggested the following principle. He says, the idea of the Gemara in Tshuvas that you're not obligated to spend more than a fifth of your money on mitzvahs. What is that about? What's the underlying principle there? So the underlying idea is that we have a principle of ones rachmana patre, that you can only do what you can do. And whatever is more than you're able to do, God credits you for your efforts. And your intention. The ones, Rahmana Patre, that if it's impossible for you to do any better, then God will excuse you. So apparently, what Chazal told us with that limitation of one fifth is that if something costs you more than a fifth of your money, you simply can't afford it. It's functionally speaking impossible. So God credits you with that which you can't do and you want to do. Onus Rahmana Patra. Says the Abdinazer, that is good enough for mitzvot that are between you and God. God says, I want you to wear tzvillin. And he knows that it's impossible for you to obtain tzvillin. So he'll credit you with tzvillin. God says, I want you to take a lulav. And it's impossible for you to afford a lulav. So then he can credit you for your efforts. Without getting into the whole discussion, I've thrown him whether it's crediting you as if you actually did it or not holding it against you that you didn't. That's the whole discussion of the whole sigma in itself. But one way or another, you won't get in trouble for not doing it. But that's only effective if this is between you and God alone. 
if it involves other people, then human beings can't know what you're thinking or what you're trying to do. This is the Yisod a number of Akronim have, actually. You find this all over the place. For mitzvos ben Adam l'chaveiro in general. That when you're dealing with a rule between you and God, we can credit your intention and your effort. When you're dealing with human beings, they need results. Otherwise, they can't know. If somebody comes to you and they're starving and they need some food and you have a great excuse why you can't give them, they're still going to collapse. It's not going to help the other great excuse because human beings have these real needs that have to actually get taken care of. So this principle shows up in a lot of places for mitzvot ben Adam l'chavero in general. Says the Avnei Nezer, that also makes sense when talking about Pursume Nisa. Why? How is Pursume Nisa relevant to that? Because Pursume Nisa is not the same as Staka or other Ben Adam Lechaveros, but it is about communicating to other people. And if you can't get the message across, then it's not going to help that you wanted to or that you tried to. And imagine if I can't afford Hanukkah candles, so I skip it. So somebody will walk past my house and they won't see any Hanukkah candles. Say, well, you know what? Probably he really wanted to light Hanukkah candles, but he couldn't afford it, so I'll tell myself about the miracle. It doesn't work. Right? But if it's about communicating with people, then it has to actually happen. So that's how the Avni Nezer understood what the Rambam was getting at. That it's only going to be effective when you're talking about Prisuminisa if you actually make sure to make it happen. And both of these, again, I think have a lot of relevance to our contemporary moment. You know, the idea that when we're looking for miracles, as we are now, we need to really hit the Prisuminisa button and recognize that we have to do all that we can to make sure that we get that message out because we're asking for more miracles. And to recognize that dealing with the needs of people, as we are now as well, results become crucially important. And that we can't rely on our good intentions. Now the implications for Hanukkah are actually quite fascinating. I know we have about six, seven more minutes, so just to say a little bit more about some of the internal Hanukkah issues that are reflected there. So I mentioned before that the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch say the same thing. Right? They both record this idea, do whatever you have to. But there might be a very subtle difference. And this was interpreted as a machlokis between the Rambam and the Shulchan by proxy, because according to the interpretations and the commentaries. So the Shulchan Aruch, his opinion is commented on by the Chemed Moshe, who's quoted in the Bir Halacha. So according to him, reading the Shulchan Aruch, 
And according to the Orsameach, reading the Rambam, there is a difference between the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch when they say the same thing otherwise. What is the difference? So pay attention to the words. Shulchan Aruch says that Shol Opsachim, Locher Suso, Lokeach Ner. Singular. Why would it say singular? So what? Yeah. Mitzvah ner yishu beisa. Right. The ikra mitzvah is one candle. Everything else is what we call mahadrin, mahadrin, mahadrin. So says Mishnah according to the Chaim Moshe, everything else is a hider. So if we're going to say on this dinder abanan where we thought we would have been so much more laid back that you got to go to such extent. We're for sure not going for the hither. That's already too much. So one candle. If you can't afford one candle, then beg for that. You don't have to beg for more than one candle per household. The Rambam, however, has the language Neros. And the Orsameya says, according to the Rambam, you go begging also for you're begging also for the neighbors of the hither. Which is a fascinating idea. And it suggests that the hither of Mahadrin and Mahadrin, of lighting multiple candles per night, is a fundamentally different concept than hither mitzvah of Chalatar Kuli. The question? Can you hear about the Can you tell me your name first? Uh, Zach Pearl. Zach Pearl. From where? Chicago. 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 Yeah, Chicago um, uh, we're in Chicago. That's right. Okay, excellent. Regards, yeah. Do you interpret the Ramam as meaning it's one candle per night, like Nero's meaning multiple candles, but only one per night? Meaning that's still meaning, three on the third night, or? No, meaning you have to like get eight candles total. Oh, he does mean that, for sure. Yeah. But the question is, what does he mean on the third night? Does he mean three candles? So the, the assumption is that he means three nights on the, three, uh, on the third candle. Three candles on the third night. As opposed to just... Everyone agrees you need at least one candle per no, night. I'm saying, but since he says near rows, can you... Mean for the whole set. Yeah. So it's possible, theoretically. It's a diak. That's why I'm saying it's a proxy machlokis because it's not explicit either in the Rambam or in the Shulchan Aruch. So we're taking the words of the Chamed Moshe and the Orsameach that they really mean these differences. But if that's the case, so that's what he assumes, that the Hidr extends to everything. Now there's a lot to say to establish the point that according to the Rambam, it's possible to develop a theory here that the Mahadrin of what we call Mahadrin and the Mahadrin, which is unique to Hanukkah. Have you ever seen a restaurant that has a hashkach on the outside that says Mahadrin and the Mahadrin? Like that means they light eight candles on the eighth night of Hanukkah, because that's the only time in Halakha you really have the standard of Mahadrin and the Mahadrin. So to assume that that's the same usage as Hidra Mitzvah that we find elsewhere by an Esrog or a Lulav or a Tzitzis or a Sefer Torah of Zekeli Bianveyu, Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a whole different concept. So you're right that to say to go begging for a nicer S-robe, not just a regular S-robe, but you have to go begging for an okay, that would be a lot. But here, we're not talking about something like an S-robe where it's hither as an extra concept. But the Mahadrin of Hanukkah is built in in a fundamental way. So, yeah. Built in in the sense that it usually Mar doesn't typify what 
specifically the Hijra is yeah. just like nice or whatever, but right. we still know that the basic mitzvah is near Shabbat. So like, how does it? But the fact that Gemara tells you something different already kind of sounds like it's something fundamentally. We different. know that it's a it's a different standard. It is a Hijra. But maybe it sounds like a different type of standard and a different type of Hijra. Now the truth is, I think. I mean, if we had time, I'd show you more proofs to this point. I think really all the Rishonim agree, actually, that the Hidr of Hanukkah is actually a whole different type than the Hidr of everything else. But there's still a question as to what difference is it that what's going to come out if you see other proofs from the Rambam, and especially this idea of begging for it when normally you don't have to beg for a Hidr. The Rambam holds that really the Hidr is actually, maybe like you're saying, not fundamentally different, but just more pressing. That we're more obligated to do a Hidr when it comes to Hanukkah than we are every other area of the Torah. And according to others, there's actually a focus on the specific form of the Hidr. It's not just a nicer Esrog or a nicer Sefer Torah or a nicer Tzitzis, but a message. Six, seven, eight candles. That's a message. You don't have a message and everything else. Someone says that, okay, one mitzvah is to get an esrog, and a hidden mitzvah is to get an esrog, and a mahadran, mahadran is to get an esrog that jumps around the table and dances and waves the flag and says, happy sukkahs. Right? There's no, no other hidder which also has a message. Yeah? The says you should have a nice menorah and a nice candle. Oh, so it could be there's both, right? It could be that's actually very much the point. It could be that maybe Hanukkah has the same hither as all these other mitzvos, and that's what we're talking about. Have a nice menorah, have shemen zayis maybe because of nice. It's got a nicer flame. All of that, you're right. That's like a nice lulav. That's like a nice sefer Torah. And lighting eight candles on the eighth night of Hanukkah, that's a whole separate story. So, it's interesting to note. I'll just say this quickly because we're running out of time. But that could be that there is a machlokas here as to what is the miracle of Hanukkah, which is a pretty important question, right? If we're going to be mafar saying this miracle, it'd be probably a good idea to know what miracle it is. Right? But, we have a whole dinner for awareness, and no one ever tries to find out what the awareness is. So, awareness of what? So, awareness of the miracle. What's the miracle? What's the miracle of Hanukkah? Can you tell me? Well, it lasted eight days. Okay. You say Alhanisim on Hanukkah? How does Al Hanusim describe the miracle of the oil? Doesn't say a word about it, right? So when you thank God three times a day in your Shemona Esrei and Hanukkah and however many times you bench, you don't say a word about the oil. So that's the miracle? Thank you for this miracle which you're talking about not at all? So according to Al Hanusim, what's the miracle in Hanukkah? The war. The war. So which one is it? Is it the war or is it the oil? Could be both. So Maharal of Prague suggested that really it's the war. That Akash Baruch and of course we feel this now with such powerful and raw intensity, that to be saved from a war situation. And we talk about, you know, Rabbim Yad Ma'atim, and it's, it's just mind-blowing how that's been flipped on its head because now the world thinks that we're the rabbin and the enemy is the ma'atin. And there's so much, obviously, they don't understand. 
but it also then flips the power of world opinion. So by far we are for sure the ma'atim against the rabbin more than perhaps we've ever been in history. And the idea of rabbin v'yad ma'atim, that's the miracle. That's the miracle that matters. But what's the problem? The problem is, it's possible to look at that miracle and say, okay, we pulled that off. And we could do it again on our own, by ourselves. So what happens at the end of the whole Hanukkah story? A fantastic miracle takes place. We are saved in a state of Mohammed, which is certainly the crucial miracle of that point in history, and the miracle that we hope to be repeated again and again. But what's the danger? We may not recognize what actually happened. So what happens at the end? At the end, there is a story involving a jug of oil lasting eight times as long as it should have, which is not as important as winning the war by any standard. And it's a whole discussion in the Akronim, why do we even need it? Maybe you heard this question, right? Tumo Hutra Bitsibur could have probably used Tome oil. It's the whole literature, why do we even need this miracle at all? Certainly not as important as winning the war, but why is it even a thing? So it's a question why we needed that miracle. But the one thing we know is that it's undoubtedly miraculous. It's undoubtedly Kineger Hatava. The morale understands that here the real miracle is the victory of the war. But to counteract that danger that we might misunderstand what happened, there's a magic show that happens at the end, which is essentially a Karish Baruch's signature and saying, You don't think I was with you all along? You don't understand how this happened? So it's our job right now, this month, when things are so desperate to make sure that message gets across as powerfully as possible, as widely as possible, as clearly as possible, that in the past, the rabbin have been defeated by the ma'atim. And at this point in history, we are the ma'atim as much as we ever have been, no matter what the world says. And we can once again beat the rabbin but because we recognize that just as with then, Harish Baruch was with us all along. And now I think I'm out of time. But I thank you all so much. It's really always a tremendous pleasure to visit our Toto. You should all have a safe year, a wonderful year. Your learning should hold up the world and hold up the country. And to the discuss of everything that goes on here in the center of the center of the world. Everything that goes on here should lift up all of Yisrael and the whole world and wish to see Yeshua's and the Hamas and miracles in the month of Kislev. Thank you.